0: this week on three sides of the coin wow i i I don't know which which little blurb should i mention here um we finally confirm who is the kiss expert at cream magazine
1: this is three sides of the coin talking all things kiss i want to rock and roll all night you're listening to three sides of the coin want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tea? now you can we ship worldwide get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com <laughs> Of Kiss Radio every week. Three Sides of the Coin Radio. Live, Sundays, 8 p.m. Pacific. Monsters of Rock Channel, Dash Radio Network. We program the radio show. We pick the songs. No corporate overlord telling us what to play. Only Kiss Deep Cuts. We play the songs the fans really want to hear. Three Sides of the Coin Radio every Sunday. 8 p.m pacific everybody welcome back to another episode of three sides of the
0: coin guess what mark what mike it's only us again it's it's just always you and i what are you talking about it really is i'm beginning to think we need (laughs) to fire tommy as well i mean we we gave we gave ralph his walking papers (laughs) is it time to give tommy his walking papers because he's hardly ever here what's the point of putting his name on the show Who's Tommy? I, <laughs> Ed. I remember we, we had that guy Alex for a little bit. Oh, and, and speaking of Alex, the response <laughs> to Alex's interview, phenomenal. People are Ed. absolutely loving it. And, 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 and I got to tell you, I, I didn't think for a second it was a bad interview. I just didn't think it was going to necessarily connect because it was kind of a, a smorgasbord of KISS topics, so to speak. And first of all, I love smorgasbords, but, you know, it seems like a lot of our listeners love one topic and get in depth, sort of like this week's show. But, uh, man, everybody loved the conversation with Alex.
2: Look, he is every bit as enchanting and fun in person. If, if you've never, if you are, especially if you're on the KISS cruise, make sure you seek out Alex. Um just absolutely love him he's just a an incredible person and and guys this kind of goes back to what we talk about all the time you know you know i met alex because i got off the couch and drove 10 hours to new york and he met me because he got off the couch and flew to new york from germany and why did we do that back in the day so often we went to kiss expos and you know kiss conventions and that's and you know now we've been friends for almost thirty years. I mean, guys, you know we preach this all the time, but that's that's the kind of stuff that that you make friends for a lifetime. This band has no idea what they've done for us. They formed a band, and you know, from Mike and Tommy and to to Alex on down, I mean, all the friends you make doing yep,
0: this. Yep, our, life. our 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 lives are different because of this band
2: yes and i don't think you can say that about a lot of other bands really um not not the way kiss fans are no don't get me wrong a lot of times we get caught up in the the craziness of it of of it all but you know what matter of fact this past weekend it was uh it was liz's birthday and our friends from the kiss cruise came in from new york and you know again just the amount of people that that you, you 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 love that you, you you meet doing this and they're every bit as passionate as you are and yep and it's pretty special pretty special.
0: um i want to remind everybody real quick check out three sides of the coin radio every sunday night 8 p.m pacific two hours of nothing but kiss music um, and I can't remember if it's the next episode or the one after that. It probably be it would probably be, an, it would probably be a, a radio show that Jan would love. It's nothing but music from the first three albums pre Kiss Alive. So we just do some cool stuff on there every Sunday 8 p.m. Pacific. The Monsters of Rock channel on the Dash Radio Network, three sides of the coin radio Check it out. Leave us some comments. Make some requests. Send us some show ideas. You know, this is the radio show for the people. Like Kisses a band for the people. And our guest this week worked for a magazine for the people. I guess it's a good segue. No, you know what? Before I segue, usually Ed's one job is to read some comments. And he rarely does that anymore so i want to read a comment and i found this comment just today and it was so freaking funny because it's just so out of the blue so we posted on all of our social medias a absolute fun photo and it's not an egotistical photo it's it's an absolute fun photo and and actually i got to give credit to matt porter Because he first posted the photo, it was of Ric Flair, wrestler Ric Flair. And he was doing an interview with Mean Gene Okerlund. And clearly he was probably talking about the Four Horsemen. But he only had visibly three fingers held up in the air. And I I joked, I'm like, oh, he's a big fan of Three Sides of the Coin. And Matt (laughs) laughs and, you know. Pure joke, people. Pure absolute joke. But I took it and I'm like, oh, this would make a beautiful meme. So I took the photo and I you know and I put three sides of the coin is the best. Woohoo which is Ric Flair's Woo-hoo. insignia. Yeah, woo. And and you know, so many people were just laughing at it and they loved it. And again, a hundred percent just pure joke. I mean, just because hey, The guy's holding up three fingers. Great. Okay, he's a Three Sides fan. No, I don't think he thinks it's the best or anything. Anyway, on Facebook, Jeffrey Rampola left this comment. (laughs) This is just... Understand the craziness we deal with. I listen to every Kiss podcast out there and have for years now. If I get to the point that there are no new episodes of any of them to listen to... I'll re-listen to an old podcast, Kiss FAQ, Pod of Thunder, Kistry Science Theater, Podcast Rock City, Pods and Suds, or Decibel Geek before I would ever listen to any episode you guys put out. Uh, I don't know why he's on our Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on that? to say, it's been a while since, an misspelled sense. I've listened to you guys But judging by this post, I'm assuming you guys still spend a good portion of your show self-proclaiming yourselves and defending yourselves from the haters. Like you, Jeffrey? I mean, you did show up in our room and left a comment, so it's only, what, fair we get to respond. He goes on to say, you guys, especially you, Michael, are so pompous and unlikable. It's no wonder all the other podcasts will help promote one another but none of them have anything nice to say about you guys. <laughs> I, I'm like, what, what are you doing even here then? If you hate us so much, why are you even here leaving a comment? It's it, it the the craziness we get. I mean, his life that he takes this Ric Flair photo so seriously that it triggers him like this. I It's just like, my God, really, that's... What's his name again? Jeffrey is- Rampolo. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Jeffrey,
2: you're a fan. Just admit it.
0: <laughs> you, I mean- you, li- you you lit. <laughs> you sort of start out by saying um, you don't ever listen and then you say, you know, it's been a while since I've listened. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? If you never listened, been a while since you listened, what? And and, and let's let's be honest here. Spend a good portion of your show self-proclaiming yourselves. We have never done a show like that. We've had, like here, where we've talked for a couple minutes, but you do understand our shows are pushing close to two hours. We've never done a two-hour show as you have stated here. You're just following a mob mentality that doesn't even know what you're talking about. I mean... Doesn't it feel clearly, kind of,
2: clearly someone who is frustrated with life. Don't you so, feel a little foolish
0: yeah. making statements like that? I, I don't know. Anyway. Well, it
2: gets to be a star this week on our show.
0: Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, there you go. We spent another good portion of an episode talking about the haters. Um, so, let's segue into what the vast majority of this show is about, Mark. We've been after this guest... For three plus years. I started out tracking her down on Facebook and communicating with her and you finally connected with her at a movie premiere in Detroit. Um, This is like one of our dream interviews. Yes. Uh, You know, and and we teased it last week and some of you got it. This is related to a maiden form bra. And if you are an Deep diehard Kiss fan, you would get what maiden form bra means. Um, I, I don't. I don't know what to say. Do you, I mean you want to take the honors because you closed this deal, Mark? You closed the deal. Look,
2: um, the guest this week was somebody. When I first got into really my love of rock and roll, um, reading her 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 interviews and reading her stories and mostly reading the magazine that she's a co-founder of. Um, Jan Uelinski? Is that the you, you, like she you, No, Uelski. Uelski, that's damn. Jan Uhelski from Cream Magazine is our guest this week. And let me just tell you, uh, I was very fortunate um, over the last couple of weeks because um, we were trying to to get Jan on and and get things going, and she's so busy, uh, you know, she's still still contributing to the rock music world, still interviewing artists, still flying all over the country to bring us the stories of the bands we love. And if you guys remember, and this was before I even um, knew that you know Jan was going to be confirmed, Michael, do you remember when I said to you that current? article at the time current from from classic rock was probably the best kiss article i've read in decades yep and 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 this was before jan was that's that's how incredible of a talent she is for writing so again if you haven't you know ever tracked that 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 issue down from a couple months ago with uh, uh, kiss on the cover of, uh, of classic rock magazine Jan writes a story and, and she talks about it uh, today on today's episode and, and the rose petal stories really that really gives you a nice insight and it's funny because without knowing when I wrote my first because I met Janet at the Detroit premiere for the cream um, movie documentary which we talk about as well um, and the in and the and she gave me your card and the first this is where I knew we were going to be okay. Cause I, you know, Mike's been trying to get her on. And when I saw her, she was so got, you know, so, so busy. It wasn't even funny, but she's like, here's my card, you know, just, just get a hold of me. And I did. And, you know, I introduced myself and said, you know, whatever we want to have you on. And I just wrote PS that, 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 rose petal story really was insightful and, and she wrote me back a nice you know few sentences on on, on that and, and and we had a couple phone conversations and you know she's from Detroit as well and let me tell you just I'm still in awe I mean, you can probably hear it in my voice and I know Mike and I had to compose ourselves for a few minutes after the interview was done and this was this was a holy grail interview for me uh, I know it was for Michael and I think you guys are gonna feel that way uh you know an hour and a half from now because jan you want to you want to get in the inside circle of kiss you're gonna you're gonna and and it's unlike anybody else we've interviewed i can honestly say this is probably the closest do you think michael for personable getting into the kiss lives
0: yeah i i really do because there there were moments where i even felt like she was discussing things for the first time that she's never talked about before and 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 you know we should just get to the interview real quickly here but trust me she brings up not just her amazing story of going on stage and performing with kiss she talks about the whole thing how that came to be what it was like in the dressing room, what it was like after the show. But she shares stories about what the rest of the Cream staff thought about KISS. She shares the story, and this was absolutely news to me, about taking Gene Simmons to the party where he got stoned on a pot pot brownie. And what happened after the party And what Gene was saying when he was walking into (laughs) convenience stores. Um, She, you know, she she talks about the first time she saw Kiss at a industry event where they were sitting on a panel. I mean, there's just so many. She talks about being on Kiss's jet just recently on this tour because she was writing a story on him. And Tommy and Eric's reaction. Paul's reaction to rose petals on the floor. It's, it's just amazing stuff.
2: And, and, and before you hit, before Michael, give yourself a pat on the back right now. Guys, as a KISS fan, I couldn't be any more prouder of Michael. The word association that he asked of Jan and her answers, you, you want to get personal with KISS? You just wait. That yeah. To me, that's the highlight of the interview. Yeah, Michael, that,
0: well done. Th- thank, well done. Th- thank you. It's like, it, it just popped into my head as we were talking here. I'm like, let's play this word association with her and give her a bunch of names. And she really, I mean, boy, her comment about Ace.
2: No hesitation. Um, honestly, uh, the finest moment of this show since I've been on.
0: Wow. Yep. Yeah. So, guys, just let this roll. There's almost 90 minutes of an interview here with Jan Uhelski from Cream Magazine. All I can say is,
2: wow. Hey, Three Sides fans. Um, this is a special one for me, uh, a big deal. Um, we have joining us Jan Uhelski. Was that correct? U- That's correct. what? from Cream magazine and I'm proud to say another fellow detroiter and somebody who got kiss pretty much before everybody listening here so uh Jan welcome to Thanks. the show yes, we are so you. excited to, to have you on yep. and uh we um, are why don't why don't we t- why don't you start just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh we'll go from there
3: well I'm a longtime music journalist I I started when I was a teenager in Detroit I used to work at a at a ballroom called the Grandy Ballroom, so I saw everybody, um, you know, Janis Joplin and Led Zeppelin and Robert Plant and and Jeff Beck and anybody you could think of. But for me, it wasn't enough just to see it, or in my case, I had to deliver Coca-Colas to, like, you know, really badass rock stars. I would go home after they closed on the ballroom and sit on, on my uh, shag carpet and write about it. So um, eventually... There was a little kiosk next to where I sat, and they sold Cream magazines, which had started in 1969, and I said to them, if I give you free soft drinks or in Detroit Ease Pops, will you please let me write for Cream? I I think I just wore them down. So um, I was, how I intersect with Kiss is that I was an editor there, um, and I had gone to London to cover something, and I'd come back, and it wasn't like really big airline nonstops back in those roaring 70s. So I had to spend the night in New York so I couldn't get a flight from London to Detroit. So it was kind of one of those propitious things. A friend of mine who was a photographer was shooting this BMI special um, panel, and he invited me to take me to dinner. And KISS were the panelists on that particular night at the uh, CBS studios. And I saw them, and it just, it wowed me, because they had the same bratty, fearless mentality that everybody at Cream had. So I thought, oh my God, this now, is Jan, an idea. Now, Jan, 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 real
2: home. quick, was that the one with, with Jane County? Because I've seen pictures yeah. of it. Okay, yes. so could can you, that was, I, just so I want our audience to understand, Kiss in 74, when they were nothing... We're on a panel, because again, I know a little bit about the story. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit, but it was with fellow New York rock acts.
3: Right. It was a it was a panel. I think it was titled, and I just wrote about it, so I should know this, but I think it was like sex and gender and rock and roll, glitter versus glam. or It was some kind of catch-all phrase, but it was about the fact that there was Jane County who was a soon to be transsexual and then there was Joe Bryce who was like a David Bowie kind of knockoff who who had a big giant billboard in Times Square at the time and there was Kiss which certainly weren't genderless i mean oh my god i remember all those um those tales from the road manager Jerry Small that used to say that Kiss got the most beautiful women in rock and roll so it was they weren't so genderless, they were actually gender-full. I mean, they were just full of it. So um, that was a crazy panel. I think what was so crazy is everyone was answering questions. Danny Fields, who discovered the Ramones and and signed the um, Iggy Pop and the Stooges to Electra Records, was there too, but everyone was pretty well-behaved, but every time the moderator would ask a question to Kiss, they wouldn't answer it. They kept saying, it's only rock and roll, because the Stone Song had come out that summer. And this was I think in October so it was like they were like speaking as one like they had that script and they were never going off script but the other crazy part was is each of them I didn't know their names I am mean, honestly I had never even seen them before um but I had a picture of the, of the of the panel and each of them had switched the name plates and Peter Chris didn't have one so you didn't even know who you were talking to so for the entire hour and something probably hour and a half it, they were addressed by the wrong name. So it was just really lunacy. I mean, for me, it really caught my attention more than anything else that night.
0: Jan, Jan let me let me ask you. So this was an industry event. You said BMI. So I, I'm trying to just paint the picture of what this was. Was it in an auditorium? Were there a bunch of people? No, it
3: was, in, it was, in, it was in invite only. It was CBS Records. It was Studio B. It was where... I, th- I mean, it was like for Jazz Great it had recorded things. I think, I think uh, Bridge Over a Trail of Water was recorded, too. So it was in the CB rec- CBS Columbia Records building.
2: Yeah, Mike, so I think
3: just, I have pictures yeah.
2: of that in my archive.
0: Oh, you need you need to dig those up, Mark, so we can see yeah. a couple of them. Because this this sound. I mean, yeah. this is fascinating to me. Because as
2: soon as Jan was talking, I'm like, oh my God, that's from that... Really, super like that. Like even some hardcore Kiss fans don't even know about that. Yeah, that's the, I've that never
0: band. I've never heard about this. So I'm assuming they weren't in makeup, correct? No, they, they were. were they were in makeup. Oh no, they oh, were. In in makeup. Makeup. Oh, okay, yeah. That's even crazier that they're at an industry event
3: and they were fully made up. Wow. Oh wait, but, but you what you what you don't know, and it's probably because I'm that old. Is you never saw them anywhere when they weren't made up? I mean, they were not always out of makeup, but you didn't know it was them because you only saw them publicly sure. in makeup.
0: Sure. So,
3: yeah, they they were always like that. I mean, that was what was so daunting, I think very nightmarish. Like, Mudvayne, years later, it had the same effect on me, but they didn't have the music or the idea. But it was just something really nightmarish. It was like, hit you in some very primitive place way, way, way down there in the subconscious. And that night, I just I couldn't think of anything else. I just come back from London, my first trip to London, to cover... A David Essex show and interview him, and I came back and honestly, all I wanted to do was write about Kiss. I don't even think I ever wrote the David Essex story. So, 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 so that,
0: <laughs> so that's basically how Kiss came onto your radar for the first time.
3: Right, and then the next thing I had to do was convince my jaundiced rock critic cronies like Lester Bangs and Dave Marsh and Ben Edmonds that we should actually cover them and. They i had I had to force them, I had to bribe them. They said, "Okay, you want to cover them, you cover them." but honestly, it, it was an uphill of battle, and I was pretty much I was the youngest member of the staff there was you know i, had, I hadn't been there as long as anyone else, and i just I, I just knew for no other reason than I just knew.
0: I I so I heard a note. So why
3: what what was their reason for
0: resistance to Kiss back in 74? Were they just not familiar with them? Was it the makeup oh, no. I, did honestly, they not like the we, music? We, we no, we
3: we were no it We knew about everything. They thought that they were um, I I remember what they said was that they were just New York Dolls clones. And Paul and Jean will admit that because all they wanted to do was to be better than New York Dolls. That was the thing they had to beat. So they, I I remember when I was just out in the road with them, they were talking about that. I said, Yeah, you weren't even thinking world domination. All you were thinking then was to be a better New York Dolls. And Jean said to me, Yeah, Paul and I went to see them one night and we looked at each other and goes, oh, no problem. So that was it. wasn't a world world class ambition, um, but we knew about them. They actually just thought they were comic book pl- clowns. I mean, given the fact the 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 critics at Cream really were held in high esteem. There was Rolling Stone, there was really Cream, and there was you know more more like Teen boppy magazines like Circus as well, but. You know they that really wasn't up their alley, and i honestly I don't think any of them really ever liked them that that that
0: I find that I, I find that just so fascinating and interesting that I mean, I guess we've always known that kiss has never gotten respect because people saw the makeup and nothing else yeah. but right. I, I you know I kind of assume that boy, maybe the people at cream they got it. They must have gotten it. They must have appreciated what it was all about. But now you're painting this picture where it's like, no, you know the, you like you said you had to kind of force them to even let you cover Kiss.
3: Well, how do you think I wrote all those articles? I mean, you would think we used to fight over Led Zeppelin. We had we'd fight over the Rolling Stones. Every time there was a Kiss album or a Kiss story, that was mine until Robert Duncan got hired in 1975, and then, then he took yep. over, and he did a lot of the really good Kiss coverage too. So um, it was pretty much a two-man relay team, and then I left in 1976. So, um, and Robert was only there a few more issues after that, so I really don't know what happened. I mean, it didn't keep up a lot in those days because I would moved to Los Angeles and had a you know, different... I worked for a different magazine, so... I don't really know what their kiss coverage was like. I think that there was the infamous um, Christmas cover where Ace almost died falling over in like that that fake snow that they had <laughs> yeah, for their yeah, Christmas yeah. card sheet, yep, So yeah. you,
2: you realize that Cream used that. I ha- matter of fact, I have one. Um, Cream used that as their Christmas card. I, to I sa- do
3: know that. <laughs> I, I was still a stockholder then, but yeah. I do know that I still have that Christmas card too. It's silver and beautiful. I think yeah. Neil Preston well, shot that. Do you think, Jan, do you think some of it, though, is when you look at the age of the people that you were working with in Get pre-magazine,
2: their maybe heroes or the music they loved were, you know, the
0: Beatles and the Rolling Stones, which is the obvious choice. But they like bands like or artists like Bob Dylan and, and that. So then when KISS comes along, it's easy for them to dismiss because they
1: just don't get it.
3: I think that they thought they were for kids. Um, Leslie liked things like Crabby Apples, Channel. <laughs> count five and really off the wall things but there was nobody in makeup you know that just didn't work like we were cool we wore great clothes you know it was like we it's like i don't really know why it called to me so loudly but it really did i just think for me because i was there to see them pretty much disregard all these these industry bigwigs and not even care I, i love that i don't give a fuck attitude because we had it i actually thought that um Everyone else would get it eventually. I think Lester got it a little bit because I have a picture of him talking to to um cream and, and I definitely know Duncan got it. Dave Marsh never did, although one time he did invite Gene Simmons over for dinner when I was in New York, and we 'd gone to see Dave Marsh at Rolling Stone. And we just didn't go, so I think he holds that against Gene too. But I, I just don't think—I don't think so. And I don't know why I did either. I—I I don't know. I like Grand Funk for maybe similar reasons. Uh, I like things that really get to you. That you know, they really hit you in that solar plexus. You feel the music as much as you um, as you think about it. Jan, do you, do you do you think so, do you do you well, think part-
0: piggyback
2: on that a little bit though? Um, both Marsh and Bangs. In later, well, not not in two later years, um, Lester Bangs wrote a really nice article about Kiss Alive when it came out, and he called it the greatest live album ever made at the
3: time. So well, that that was fine. I'm glad it only took him two years, but good.
2: Yeah, that and also Dave Marsh in his book, which I have, I'm trying to remember the name of it. He begrudgingly he was listing the it's 100 greatest rock albums of all time, and is and it's really quick. He's like, yeah. All, all it says is "Kiss Alive." Yep, it's good, and that was it. It's like it, it's like I mean, had admit, yeah.
3: praise. Yeah.
2: yeah, that was all he'd write about it, though. Is yep, it's that good, and that was it. That was like the total review of it, where every other you know album got these great reviews, but you know he, he's, he begrudgingly had to admit that Kiss Alive is right up there with the greats.
0: Jan Jan, do you think with with Dave and and Lester and anybody else that had sort of that same attitude, the the resistance came partially came from the fact that they as critics and journalists who probably felt like they knew what was good and bad and you know, they get to decide all this, decided <laughs> that Kiss wasn't good, yet somehow Kiss went on and succeeded despite all of that. And that kind of drove them even more crazy. Is like, how are these guys succeeding? They suck.
3: No, I I don't think so. I don't I don't think it was like that at all. Um, I just think they didn't like it. I don't think they gave it another thought. You know, it's like there's so much music. We were always inundated with music. Everyone had their little lane of what they what they liked. They didn't like it, so they really didn't bother with it. Um, Lester again, because Lester liked a good show. Lester liked to provoke things. Uh, if everybody else hated hated Kiss. he would probably have come around, and, and apparently didn't. I just didn't know it. But again, I have this picture of him with his girlfriend, you know, talking to him, and it's really a sweet picture. So, you know, that I, I can understand that. Marsh is more intellectual and more fixed in his beliefs. He, once deciding something, he really doesn't change his mind. Not because he doesn't want to, just because he doesn't. You know, and, and, and,
0: and from the outside here, as a fan, it always seemed like Cream loved the band. It just seemed to me yeah. that they, they were one of the, the, the only ones that got it. And now you're painting this picture where it's like, eh, not really. You got it. And you fought hard
3: well, for of, it. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. You know, the thing is, it's like we were in the magazine business. We weren't just cool kids sitting around. So we would sell magazines. If you put Kiss on my cover, you would sell more magazines. Well, that's what I was so going to ask
0: you. Did that eventually sway I, them?
3: I don't know. I mean, you know, I was there for, like, six years, and, um, I, you know, I left two years after that. I don't think I really thought about that way. I think I was just passionate about my people. You know, I had, other, I mean, I was felt the same way about Leonard Skinner and the Almond Brothers. There were a lot of things that I covered, because those were the days you could, you could cover what you wanted, not just what, you know, somebody told you to. Um I don't know. It it really it, you have to know these these guys. I don't think there was any campaign. I don't think they resented them for for being so successful. I think that they just didn't like them. I mean, I didn't like bands that they liked, you know, and I would never cover them. So, but I would let them do it. That was what was so great about Cream was we were so democratic. There was room for everybody's opinion. If you liked something really a lot, then it was your department and you covered it like Ben Edmonds liked flowery things he loved Elton John he loved Ted not Ted he loved Todd Rundgren I mean Lester love hated Ted Nugent just because he liked a good fight I mean he loved to provoke people and he really did that a lot so with Lester it wasn't always a matter of what he liked it was what he could elicit from his engagement with an artist so you can't really reduce cream to it wasn't cool. They were pissed that, that Kiss made it, it even though they didn't like it, and then stamped all over them. Um, I don't think so. But you have to think of this as a changing of the guard of cream because by the end of 1976, December 1976, all of that original golden group of people, the glory of cream, had gone. So it was a, it was the next wave, and it was Bill Holchip and Susan Whitehall and Dave DiMartino. And maybe they had, you know, taste different from ours because they weren't the original crew so they probably did but again i was working for another magazine i was was on to a new life so i didn't really think about cream and kiss then i thought more about when i was writing for like playgirl i was writing for rolling stories writing for somebody else and i wasn't just thinking so much about kiss because you know i would gotten older my my horizons had expanded a little bit
2: Jan, uh, go back, because uh, when you and I uh, were talking on the phone a few days ago, um, you brought up something um, that I'm, I'm hoping you can elaborate more on. Now, those pictures from inside of Cream, when uh, when they took the pictures of them in 74 without their makeup on, could you uh, talk about that a bit?
3: Oh, sure. Um, they come over for a Boy Howdy photo shoot. Boy Howdy beer was a fictitious beer that we invented so we had a different way to cover artists that wasn't just straight Q&A or straight narrative stories so we stole the doer's profile like what's a doer's what what band drinks doer's scotch and we made it into who drinks boy howdy beer so we had a series of questions so cream has come to our office in their normal attire and they had taken over the girls' bathroom and suited up and came back out as KISS. And then we shot those pictures. And then, you know, after that was over, they they returned to the girls' bathroom and they, you know, got back into their street clothes. And we wanted to take a picture. The art director wanted to take a picture of them. They were never seen without out oh, making We said, no, we we'll never use it. They didn't want to do it, but we called Casablanca Records and the VP... Um, of the label, Larry, Larry Harris said, "Oh yeah, sure. Tell them it's fine. They can do it." So they sat, they they stood in the parking lot of Cream, and Charlie Oranger shot a roll of them without makeup. Okay, fast forward. That they never see the light of day. We promise never to to ever use them. I have copies of all of them, and I have it in a scrapbook of just like of all my articles and pictures that I had with people that I'd done stories on. And I'd gone on location to a story in San Francisco one weekend. Um, I was living in Los Angeles with my sister, and one of her friends, his name was Gary Lewis, he was a photographer for Rona Barrett's Gossip magazine. She apparently had told them that I had pictures of Kiss without their makeup. And when I came home, and I don't think I realized it that day, maybe a couple of weeks later, I realized the scrapbook was gone, and simultaneously there were pictures of Kiss, my pictures of Kiss had hit the news of them without their makeup. And Kiss had always thought that Cream just published them. Because if that had been the case, why wouldn't we have published them in Cream? But they were, I think they hit Rona Bear at first, or maybe they were the National Enquirer, someplace where this Gary Lewis had made a big bundle. Um, so years later, I, intermittently over the years, I think I, I covered Kiss in 94 and then uh, a couple of years ago, Classic Rock sent me to Paul's house to do a story on him. And he was it wasn't really all that nice. And I kept going, what's your problem? Like, you know, we've, d- we've been through a lot together. And he goes, I'm still a little mad that that Cream published those photos of, of kids about their makeup. And I said, no, no, no. That didn't happen. Someone stole them out of my house. I'm not even sure he believed me. But the <laughs> fact was... Cream had nothing to do with it. It was just this one lone photographer who probably made about thirty grand off of those, of those photographs. Um, years later, like oh my God, maybe five or six years later, I was at a club and I saw the photographer and I said, "Okay, you did that. That was a really shitty thing to do." But you know what? Just give me my scrapbook back. So one day I get this big brown package and there's my, my scrapbook with all the photographs intact. So yeah, that was a weird little scenario. Wow, that's you know,
2: because cream, 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 you know, it would have been gone against cream's. I know I always looked at this kiss sold cream and cream sold kiss. Right. so true. You, know, you know what I mean? And um, so why, you know, that's how come, you know, what, with the, the whole those with those photos that would they would have been shooting themselves in the foot to take that mystique away. I mean, obviously, uh-huh. after uh-huh. you left, and I'm sure you're aware of it. Kiss, the very first Cream Super Special on one band was about Kiss in 77. Aww.
3: I didn't know that, but that that makes sense. And I'm glad that's true, you know, because, I, I mean, there's not been a lot of bands that allowed me the kind of access I got with them. You know, I mean, even the fact that they, when I wanted to do that story and got on stage with them, they said yes. I mean... I had done other kind of nutty things, like I did a Vito diet guide, and we'd done an Alice Cooper uh, alcoholic cookbook. So we're always doing crazy things like that. But that was really the pinnacle of of fandom, where you could be like George Plumpton joining the Detroit Lions. You know, it what? was like, I couldn't believe that they allowed me to do that.
2: I, re- I remember Jan asking my mother what's the what's a maiden form bra compared to just like a regular bra
3: that
1: was 12
2: you know I goes, oh. she goes, what, are you, what are you talking about and i showed her my copy of cream she's like oh that's that was like an old ad for the for a bra that you know i dreamt i was in the ocean with my maid, or whatever and she yeah, thought it was people funny
3: people finding them, find them so i always love that um it was an ad campaign like when i was a kid well when you when you were babies, but the thing was, is these women would find themselves like they wake up someplace, like at the symphony, and they'd have like this elaborate like skirt on or these tuxedo pants, and they would only be in their bra. So it's like, I dreamt I was blah, 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 my maiden poor bra. So I thought, wow, that's really perfect. Well, I was gonna ask that, you, did you I, come up? Did you come up with that? Yeah, yeah. 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 Awesome. That was how I made the, that That's was how right. I
0: Figured out the story. So. Well, so 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 let's ba- let's backtrack a little bit. So we, you know, we teased your your appearance here by saying, you know, we're not gonna give away who the guest is, but you know, here's a here's a clue: maiden form bra. Now, a couple 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 of our listeners got it. They picked it. They 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 knew it was going to be you. But again, as a KISS fan, a longtime KISS fan, um, that that story, that whole going on stage with them and in makeup was was big. I mean that was you know, KISS fans were like, Wow, she got to go on stage with KISS and wear makeup. How did this how did that whole event begin? How did it start? How did it get pitched? How did it progress?
3: Um, the publisher's wife, Connie Kramer, was reading Esquire magazine, um, and there had been a story by a woman named Blair Sobel who had been an iCat, and she had done a tour with them and wrote about it, and Connie said to me one night, you think you could do something like this? And I go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because she goes, you think we could do it with Kiss? And I said, oh, no problem. So I the next day... This was like, we never slept. I mean, this was like, like 3 in the morning. And the next day, which was a Monday, I called Casablanca Records, and I said, oh, I want to do a piece on Kiss, but I want to be in Kiss. And I thought it was crazy. And I said, no, really, I want to get up on stage with them. I want to play a song. I actually want to play a whole set. <laughs> and they, they said yes. And they, they had one stipulation, which is in the piece. That they said, okay, you can do whatever you want but you have to promise not to call them a glitter band. And I said, well, why would I? <laughs> so they said yes. So kids were coming to town because they were oddly, I mean, it's so funny because it's such a propitious event, that they were recording alive. So um, I came that night to soundcheck, the first night, I think it was a three-night stint, and um, I met them all, and I'm talking to all four of them were, Standing in one place, and I'm, I'm telling about what I plan to do with the story, and they look blank. They, no one from Casablanca Records had told them I was going oh, to get geez. on stage with them. I thought, I know it was terrible. It was like what of those Bill Coin. Bill Coin didn't even know. No, but yeah, he knew, but he hadn't told them. So. I I had to convince them and I just remember Ace giving this blank look like, Yeah, sure you are. Like I thought, no, it's like they're they're lying to me and when I'm gonna get to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, I don't know what I'm gonna do because believe me, as a rock journalist you have those moments. I mean I had one as a side sidebar. I had one when I went on I went I went on tour with Led Zeppelin and it's a lot like they almost famous story for two weeks Jimmy Page wouldn't talk to me and the day he talked to me he made me speak through an interpreter I had to ask a publicist the question she'd relay them. so you know anything can happen so but this was so important to me and I didn't really know them that well you know it was I guess 75 so I'd known him a year so we get to Johnstown Pennsylvania I still am not so sure they believe I'm going to do that but when I go to my hotel room I'm I'm nervous. I mean, I'm like pacing. I mean, I'm watching Saturday TV, and um, finally I get a call, and we go into their um, the dressing room, and as they proceed to just make me up, I mean, Gene starts first, and Peter gets mad because he thinks he's making me look like a bat, and you know, it's, it's on and on, but I have to say, I've never learned so much about musicians as I was in that situation, because... I really was one of them, and that's why I'm always so touched. I mean, I have to say this really made my career, because I really got to see what it was like to be a rock musician from the inside out, and probably even more so, I understood what that power of the crowd is like. Like, when you're there, you understand it's like this energy bot, like people throwing like superhero bots at you, and it like it just makes you feel bigger than life. So I can understand why classic rockers don't ever want to give it up, but... Um, it was amazing, and they really did treat me like one of the guys. The thing about them, too, and even to this day, they never use my first name. i always, you hellscare, I'm mush. So, um, I don't know. I, I do think it has a lot to do with that we just all almost grew up together. I mean, they're a little older than me, but, you know, we just um, we kind of created this crazy thing. I mean, the idea for... For, actually, maybe the germ of Kiss Comics came from the comic strip I did on them, too. You know, they gave me the photographs, the outtakes from Dress to Kill, and I just, you know, wrote stupid captions to that. So um, it was really this crazy synergy between all of us.
0: Now, all, con- confirm for us, all four guys put a portion of their makeup on you. Is that yes, right? You didn't, everybody- do the, you didn't do the makeup yourself.
3: No, and Ace kept making fun of me. He goes, God, for a chick, you don't know much about makeup. So, no, I didn't do a thing. All I did was bring black leotards and really high shoes. Everything else was borrowed. Like, Ace tried to give me a couple pair of tights to put on top of mine because he didn't think my legs looked right. I mean, they were like mother hens. They were so damn funny.
0: And and, and then, <laughs> then, an incredible then, story. then
3: then when it came to
0: actually going on stage and performing... Was there any discussion of what you were gonna do in the dressing room beforehand, or was it all just sort of fly by the seat of your pants or your fly by no, the they... your maiden form bra as you're out there and just follow their lead?
3: Well, number one, I really wasn't wearing one. And B, all they told me, like I honestly thought I was gonna get more than one song. So we're in the dressing room and Bill Kind goes, Okay, you go on you go on for a rock and roll all night one song? Are you kidding? And, you know, and then it's like, and your guitar won't be plugged in, which is fine because I didn't know how to plug in. But I had my own mic, or at times I was sharing it with Paul, you know, so they let me sing. Um, But, you know, I was so into it. I really thought I was shy at that time. And I remember at the end, and they didn't tell me this either, that, that J.R. Smalling was going to carry me off stage like I was some crazy fan. But, you know, the funniest part really for me is people didn't even notice. It's like, I swear, if there's anyone, and I've never heard from anyone who was in, in the um, crowd that night, what they even, if they even knew I was there. I mean, Rush opened up. And we saw Rush afterwards. I don't think they knew. Nobody knew. It's like it happened if a tree fell in the forest. Was anyone there to hear it? I don't think anybody saw it. That's what's so wow. ridiculous about this story. Well,
2: Jan, that's one thing as a kid. I remember looking at the picture of you, and I thought you looked really cool. And and, and I remember going, because I, I, when you're a kid, you don't know, I'm like, wow, she played the whole song. Of course, when you're a kid, too, you're like, well, she plays guitar, you know, all that stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, but anyways... So you played rock and roll, and I actually knew that. But, like, did they introduce you, or did you just kind of walk on?
3: I just walked on. That's why nobody knew that I wasn't supposed to be there. Like, nobody acknowledged it. Like, okay, I don't have the most perfect eyes in the world, but they're not not perfect. that's not that bad. It's like nobody even reacted. I think the only thing they did is is Paul told me how to hold the guitar. You know, that was about the only instruction. But other than that, and I was dancing around with him and I was dancing around, but it wasn't like I saw any recognition or that anything was happening. It's really funny. I've never really talked about this before, but it was such a strange thing. I really wished that someone would come out of the woodwork and tell me they were there. You know, it's like you hear from zillions of people people who weren't even at the sex Pistols' last show but absolutely no one was there it's like i could have made this up it's kind of like you could have made up that man walked on the moon you know yeah i nobody was Great. there I, it was a made-up story you guys sorry bye <laughs> <laughs> well jan yeah you think by now someone would have would have come to you and said hey, i was there no nobody I know how many years ago no it just struck me now how how ridiculously funny that is you know what yeah walk us through your
0: your emotions what were you experiencing as you were on stage at a kiss concert during rock and roll all night i mean how how were you feeling what was going through your head
3: well Number one, I think I should preface the saying, the reason I'm a good rock journalist is, and I always attribute this to being a detroiter because we don't think anyone's better than we are, so I'm never wowed by people I meet. I'm never wowed by, like, rock stars. I mean, I don't even know. I think maybe Lou Reed made me a little nervous, but other than that, nobody does. So it wasn't that I was nervous, and and again, I still am not to this day. I mean, I still do this for a living. So I think I was more nervous because it was just that getting your diploma when you graduate and are you going to fall in front of the student assembly, you know? So I was just worried about falling on my really high stilettos. That was my only concern. And I remember the makeup itching so badly. I mean, I've got sensitive skin. (laughs) I use those kind of products, but I had all that clown white on. And I remember Bill Coyne would come and he gave me like like a pen to scratch it. So I really remember that. And I remember trying to bolt to go to the bathroom just just to like beforehand and Bill O'Coin wouldn't let me. But I think it was just crazy nervous. So I really did have stage fright. But what I've learned about myself over the years is that I have stage fright for maybe 60 seconds and then it's fine. I mean, I really mean that being up there was addictive. It's like... If you haven't done it, you don't know what that feels like. I think it changed the way I've written about every musician since that day because I really understand why they do what they do. I mean, I, I think I understand also that musicians are wired differently than the rest of us. Like, they take some kind of, I don't know, what's Keith Richards say? All you have to be asleep is, you know, everything's out there. Like, they just have to somehow drill down all of those, those words and that music from some divine connection or whatever it is and they transmit that in the music but the bigger thing is is when they're with people it's kind of like this again I really mean that part about the energy bots it's like like as much as they're giving the audience they get it back and it's almost like this palatable energy feel that you can see and it's it's addictive it's, it's like it, it feeds you it makes you bigger than you are and I really experienced that in like what like a four minute song um, they were great, because I remember Paul saying to me, he goes, I forgot that you were on there and all of a sudden I looked there and there you are with your, your mouth open like Minnie mouse, you know? It's like <laughs> like they forgot I was up there too. It's like, whoa Well so so, um,
0: so when when you got off stage, what, what was their did they say anything to you? Were they did they like it? Were they happy with it? Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, they actually really liked it a lot and they kept saying, Boy, we thought you were shy. You said that you were shy, you said you were really nervous, you're like a pro and and you know, Paul made probably the most fun of me. But it was like, yeah, they were super good. I mean, we hung out again because we all got along so well. Um, it, I just remember my legs were shaking. It was like all that adrenaline, and I could barely stand on my on my feet because it was just such like a, like an energy drain too. But then. Like kids, then you have to sit there for the next forty minutes and take all that gop off your face. you know I mean that's terrible. I mean, you want to wash your hair every day, you know it's like it's like that it's i mean really just in four minutes, but you know the the makeup is really profound, and it was really thick and it's really horrible and the funny part is they use exactly that same same kind of makeup to this day. And, and
0: and I was going to say, back then, we've got to remember, they had basically one costume for each guy, and they were all leather, and they were sweaty, and they, st- yeah. they stinked real bad. It's, it's not like today where they travel with multiple costumes and somebody yeah. whose whole job is just to wash them.
3: Yeah, it's funny. I, it wasn't like it smelled like B.O. It's actually because I remember, cause, again, because I've been on the road with him a lot, you know, before that instance. and since. And it kind of smells like wet wool, like like wet animals, you know, because <laughs> it was oh. leather. So it wasn't as bad as you think it was, but it wasn't all that great. I mean, you wouldn't really want to distill it and make it into a it. Kiss perfume, but but yeah, it really wasn't as bad. Well, it sounds like the Kiss perfume in the hat kind of did smell like that. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> but not on purpose. No, not on purpose. That was just, you know, we can't, we can't attribute that to bad taste.
0: So, so, so when it's when it's all said and done, and you've you've written the article, were you anxious to see what the response was going to be from the rest of the team at Cream? Were you no. ready to see what the public no. was going to think of it? Did it not matter? No,
3: you don't, you can't write like that. Like being a journalist, you, you're just writing for the moment. You're capturing a truth that happened. It's like it's like taking a snapshot. What what you experienced and what you saw, you're just trying to recreate and make it more exciting. But I didn't really have to make it more exciting because it was exciting. To this day, I never actually care. If you care what people think, then it's like, I know this is not going to make sense, but it's like you're writing something and you're using knitting needles. Like you're you're too far um, away from what you really do, and you just have to let it flow and tell the truth. I mean, really good journalists make enemies because you're telling the truth as it is. I, I really to this day I don't really ever care what people think. I I didn't know whether they liked it or not. I mean, I think the last thing I just did, you know, to to document their um, you know end of the road tour, is I wondered if they were going to like that because I see so much and I know them so well and I've covered so many kissings over the years. I kept going. There's a part where, um, and this is going fast forward, but we went to Phoenix in their private jet and at the end after the show's over on our way back to LA, um, it was Valentine's Day and there were roses on all of the little tables and there's a lot of turbulent so rose petals fell off of the tables and onto the floor and I was interviewing Tommy Thayer and all of a sudden I hear clomp 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 and I see Paul Stanley coming up he's standing right next to me and he says to me, Pick up those petals and I think he's kidding and I go, What? He goes, Pick up those petals And I go, I go okay, why? And he goes, well, we've got this jet for a long time and if we don't treat it right, now it's going to look like shit like, by the time this tour is over. And I thought, okay, that's going in the story. You know, like, whatever happens, I put in, in stories. So that was probably, I thought, okay, he's not really going to like this, but there was something about the action of him minding even the smallest bit of a KISS tour. There's actually the genius behind why KISS is together because Paul's always looked at the small details he's always manned the ship he's always made sure everything was going well so I wasn't saying as a diss it really was it was showing the dynamic of the band and what each of them did and that's what Paul did he makes sure you pick up the rose petals you know there's nothing random and, and fickle or frivolous about him he just really knows what he's doing and what he wants and where he's going and in this case where the whole thing's going to end
0: Look, looking back to the, the early days when you, as you said, you, you were on the road with KISS when you first were introduced to him to now on the End of the Road tour, are you kind of in awe as to it's the same band yet, my God, look at where they've gone
3: no, absolutely not. I think I still think of all of us as the same. I don't. Again, I really mean that. I don't get awed by people. I'm proud of them. I'm glad they did this. You know, there were albums like everybody else that I didn't like. You know, I mean, there were whole periods of time. I mean, I hated when they took the makeup off. I thought they looked they looked good, but I I didn't really like that music. I hated Dynasty, but then, you know, I I liked them again. You know, it's like anything. You can't stay at, to, at the top all the time, and it's that thing where they used to call the, you know, the David Boyd paradigm where, you know, you had to change things up. I mean, they try to change things up, you know, and not always with great success. And their great success is actually by being the same. So what I really can say about kids is they've always been the same. Yeah. They've, when they stay with what they do best, they're at their best. Yeah, I 100% think that I thought that then and I think that now and this show was as good as any I'd seen the one I saw in Phoenix um, and you know I, I love the bomb bath. I mean I really love it and I feel really moved and you know what's always really got me is how great they are to fans and how sweet they are to people who they just encounter in, a, um, in like an elevator I mean I was looking through doing research for doing this last tour in February and I found something I'd written for some Oh God! I think it was a Swedish pop magazine called Pop, and it it was Gene and Paul in an elevator, and someone had like a little chameleon, and and Gene was so touched by how how the guy brought his chameleon to a Kiss show. I mean, I I love how good they are to their fans. I mean, now you know you see them with the people who go to the meet and greet. I mean, they're super cute to them. They they really pay attention to them. If they're from the military, they really give great respect. I mean, I think I've always been touched by that. I mean, they really are the people's band. And then, you know, it also forces that that comparison with Grand Funk because they were that way too.
2: I was happy to, to hear that. It was funny too because I remember in your Cream comics, um, there's a there's a Grand Funk reference in that as well.
3: If I remember, correct. oh yeah. They, they're always the same band. You know, it's really funny. I, I think about that, too, because I keep all my research, and I'm always going back through things i would written before because I never want to duplicate anything. And, and you know, I, I remember Jean really liked liking them. And um, I, I think, you know, there really is that commonality as they're playing for the kids. They weren't playing for the critics, and they didn't care because the critics hated both those bands. And I don't know why I don't put myself into that league because I've been a critic for most of my life but i don't know there's just something really endearing when you're doing it for those reasons
2: hey jan just just to go off in this little side note because i think you'd appreciate this last summer um and and this isn't kiss related but when you i think you'll get a kick out of this last summer um mark farner opened for ted nugent at at pine now and my, my son's friend was there. My son's twenty seven, but his son, his is, his buddy's like two years younger, so he's probably you know twenty five years old. And he asked me, you know, who's you know who's on the bill? It was it was it was Mark Farner, Bloister, Colt, and, and Ted Nugent. And and he's like, okay, you know, I have no idea who Mark Farner is. Blah blah blah. So after Farner's set was done, he comes running up to me. He calls me Uncle Mark. He's like, Uncle Mark, um, that guy is. Is he just a, is he like, a, does he just do cover songs? I said, <laughs> I said what do you mean? He's like, I, I knew every one of the songs that he played, and those are great songs. I, does he do covers? I said, <laughs> at one time, he was in the biggest band in the world. They played and sold out Shea Stadium faster oh. than the Beatles.
1: And he's I like,
3: <laughs> You but know, and but that's... remember that, remember that hair. Remember he was he was always bare chested before Iggy even thought of it. You know,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I, I, you know, as as we've talked, you, I'm a, I'm a Detroiter. I grew up with all that same stuff you did, man, and and it's burned into my soul. You know, we got a heavy dose of Grand Funk, a heavy dose. I
3: know,
2: of, and it was great. It was just I I cannot I cannot, and I, and I've said this on the show before. I was so lucky, and I feel so blessed to grow up where I did in the suburbs of Detroit. Because if you're a rock music fan, this was the epicenter. We had rock stations, rock shows. It just it was constantly beat into our heads, and it was just a great place to grow up if you loved music. And uh, I know from from Motown, Motown on down. And and to see what the like the boys and and the MC5 did with that Motown feel, and then they just turned it upside down, and then Iggy on top of that, and then and Bob Seger and Ted Nugent, and Alice Cooper and Grand Funk, and it was just it was just an incredible experience. Matter of fact, I was telling Jan WRF, one of the local radio stations here, used to put out a, a rock book every year, and one of my favorite quotes is from Alice Cooper, and Alice Cooper said the greatest rock critic in the world is a kid from Detroit because he's seen it all. And he's basically bullshit proof because <laughs> it, it, when you came, you know, when you came to Detroit, you had to bring it, you know, because these are the people who, you know, a, a great example of that. And in, in, in KISS lore, KISS was playing Cobo Hall here, 12,000 seaters when they were playing 1,500, 3,000 other places in the country.
3: Yeah, so true. Well, just, we really and, and it them. wasn't
2: just KISS. I mean, a lot of these bands came through Kobo, um, you know, uh, Aerosmith and, and and Jay Giles and, you know, all these these acts that were adopted by the Detroit audiences and, you know, sold a lot of records because of things like CKLW. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know, again, just a, 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 a again, I don't have to tell Jan, you already know all this, but uh, just a magical place for music.
3: Yeah,
0: I Jan, so agree, Jan. You were there at the beginning of Kiss. You saw them here at the end of the road tour. What's your feelings about Ace and Peter not being in the band, but the makeup is there?
3: I, you know, I love Ace and Peter. I mean, I, I have, I had to interview them for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, program because what they tend to do is when you're, when you enter the rock hall of fame they take somebody who's covered you your whole life and oddly gene and paul wouldn't agree to interview so i didn't use i mean i just used old quotes that i would had over the years but i don't know ace is more vocal about it you know peter i think peter's just happy that he he didn't die of cancer you know i think that they know the two of them so well and you know They've always been the two captains of that band. Um, I'm really sentimental. I love Ace. I mean, I've always loved Ace. Ace has cracked me up. Um, Ace is an amazing guitar player. You know, it it makes me sad. I I don't really think that Peter could have kept up. He was older than everybody. You know, I, I don't like how it happened. But I think, on the other hand, it's like they had to get rid of what they thought was dead weight to make this dream continue to thrive I mean, do I agree? I don't know you know, I, I wasn't faced with those choices or whatever behaviors Ace and, and Peter really were were doing, you know, I, I don't know I mean, what I do know, I mean what you all know is that, you know Paul, Paul drinks Italian wines with the uh, the food that he cooks, you know, he's never been he's never been a, an excessive person the only time Jean ever got loaded was that time when I took him to a birthday party, you know and he had a pop brownie and decided to have it despite. You were responsible said, for that. I was respo- I I tried to stop him. It's, <laughs> an, it's actually in the piece I did for Classic Rock. The only reason I bring this up is because when I came onto the private plane, Gina introduced me to Tommy and Eric I'd met before because I'd done a story on '94 on them. As the person who was with him, the one and only time he ever got loaded. And they both looked at me like I was some kind of oddity, like I was some kind of relic, some kind of mythical beast that they'd only heard of but didn't believe existed. <laughs> so, so they wanted to hear the story. Yeah, we want the the promoter of the Kiss show um, was was having a party, but it was also the promoter's son's birthday. So they had baked a cake, which they were they were handing out among the crowds, and, and it was a private party. And then they had a, a pile of hash brownies and gene who loves sweets one and when i kept going no no have the cake don't have that and he goes no i want the brownies says, like you know when that guy wants what he wants he he wants it and i said okay your own peril but please don't say i didn't warn you and then maybe like an hour later um you know we're in the car and he starts acting really funny like almost <laughs> like a parody like a like a Bob and Ted's Wild Adventure kind of movie cinematic first time getting stone thing and wanted milk and had to stop at a convenience store to get milk, you know. It's like and I think the funniest thing is he asked the guy behind the counter, May I please have a glass of milk? It was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> And really sweet. But yeah, I kept thinking his like feet were like giant, you know, it was like like he kept going you know, why is my head so small? My head's like an apple. You know, but it was really kind of endearing and cute. You know, because he was so staunchly never, ever going to ever take anything, like never having you know, what oh, Passover wine. That was his concession. You know. And did you hear?
0: Did you hear about this? Like the next day when his head cleared up?
3: No. No, I, no, they were on to the next city. I just thought it was funny. I don't even think we ever brought it up, except that he wrote about it in his book. And I said, wow, I've never even told anybody. I, you know, I, my is, my stories are my stories. I'm not really talking out of school. I mean, I had a gossip column at Cream called Kiss and Tell once, but <laughs> honestly, it's like I put something in a story and I pretty much file it away. And if, if, the, um, if Gene hadn't brought it up when I met Tommy, and they kept quizzing me about it. I probably wouldn't even put it in my classic rock story, but they, they were so wild about the story that I just i thought, well, I'll just put this in the classic rock story. But no, I'd never even told that story before.
0: That's so funny. That's so funny. And, and now Gene and now is out there as a, as a representative of a, of a cannabis company.
3: Exactly. I think that's really funny, too. But, you know, I'm sure there's some connections with Shannon because, isn't it a Canadian? Um, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, yep. yeah so that, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad he's getting enlightened.
0: So, so one of the things I wanted to ask you, and because and, Mark had brought this up in, from one of your conversations, um, who at Cream Magazine was the kiss expert?
3: Oh, I'm definitely the KISS expert. Seriously? <laughs> you want to face off? Like, what? what? Do you think Duncan knows more than me? <laughs> Absolutely not. I only said because I felt bad because last week I, I forgot about the, the time, and I said, okay, go ahead, tell, say Duncan's the KISS expert because I felt so bad. <laughs> oh, but seriously, I would, I, would, I would challenge him. What could he not know that I know?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know what? I don't it, know. We had him on the show. Um, I know. A few years back, he he was really cool. Um, I you love know, him. His, his 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 you know that book that he wrote. You know that was one of the first, and and one of the reasons I love that. Uh, you know the, the Kiss book that he wrote. back I think that was seventy seven. I think um, it was very cream like because I. That's one of the things, and and I, we can talk about that a, a little a little bit more here, but. Cream was so unlike every other rock magazine. It, you know, from the reviews to the, you know, the articles and, and, and also too, like we were talking about the bands that you guys covered and championed, um, you know, in the documentary, I love the fact that, um, in the documentary on, on cream magazine, you know, people like Rolling Stone were trying to, you know, celebrate the, uh, um, God, what the hell, the guy who married uh,
3: oh, like, James, Ta- James, James Taylor, yes,
2: James Taylor and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, cities like Detroit and Cleveland, Chicago, we we'd, we didn't want that. We wanted right, Kiss. exactly. We wanted Aerosmith. We, we <laughs> you know, that's what we wanted. What, what is this, you know, this, cal, you know, again, that was the beauty behind Cream because, you know, when you'd go to the store, you'd see, you know, Aerosmith or Queen or Ted Nugent or, you know, that's what we wanted. We wanted meat and potatoes rock and roll. And damn 100%. it. 100%. That's what we got.
0: Well, it was like <laughs> it, the, the mag. it was a magazine for the people that had bands for the people in it. Really? It that's
3: true. 100% true. You can imagine 100%. how well I fit in when I moved up to the Bay Area oh, in Berkeley, California. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I used no, to always no, say.
2: I, I want to. I want to share this, too, because Jan was obviously there. That's where I met her. Uh, when I went to see the Cream documentary premiere here in Detroit at, uh, at the Fillmore Theater, um, there's a spot in the middle where Kiss, you know, comes on. They play a little bit of Detroit Rock City, and they show the graphic for Destroyer and Rock and Roll over in Love Gun. And you know what really made me feel great? Now, keep in mind, this is, you know, everyone's watching the documentary. The applause level went up. And I was like, yes, you know what I mean? It was like, I just thought that was so cool that every, and trust me, no one was there to see a kiss movie. They were there to see the documentary on cream, but cream helped build kiss. And I think the people there who, who loved cream magazine and everything that it stood for knew that. Because there was a, quite a few people older than me. I'm 54. You know, yeah. there was people who were who were there for the you know the original 1969, you know, the Iggy and the Stooges and, and MC5 and stuff. And but man, it was so cool to sit there. Was a bit of a head rush when you know Kiss appeared on on the screen and everyone woohoo. You know, I'm like yeah, yeah, that's it exactly, man. That's that's awesome. So I thought that
3: well, was. Well, I think we both help each other because, again, they made themselves so accessible. Because they, Bill Coin, I loved Bill Coin. I mean, I, before, when I was a kid, I used to watch Supermarket Sweep, which I thought, you know, before all these, like, guys' grocery games, I mean, that was like, you know, you could put whatever you could get into a um, into a basket and you could, like, you know, you got to keep all of it, and my husband always says Detroiters love free things more than any people he's ever met. So that really <laughs> appealed to me. And the fact when I met Bill Ackman, and I knew that was it, I was in. But he always knew what a good like stick was, like like to ha- to have, you know, have an idea, it's not have a brand, have an idea, and. He was so open to everything and cream especially I know I I really have always been this way too, but most of the people at Cream were like this too, is that we were really high concept. Like we would like to push it we would like to do experimental things. We'd like to put rocksters in odd situations and see how they reacted or, you know, take them shopping or do this or do that and they were really open to it. So the fact is that how they said yes to allow me on stage was just an example. I mean, even when I wanted to do you know, do the Kiss comics. You know, after I think the first time I'd seen them, I think it was the second time I met them. After that, um, after that panel, I said, "I've I, I got this idea. I'd really love to make a, a panel, a cartoon panel with you." And they were all down for that, and they sent me all the pictures. So and they never asked for approval. I mean, so I really think that we both grew up together. They used to make, I think, we used to make twenty-two seventy-five a week, and I think they used to make a hundred bucks a week during that time period. And we all used to laugh about that, you know, because we were just building it. We were building who we were. So, um, so really, we did come up together, and they didn't hesitate at all. There's a lot of people who wouldn't participate in the Cream documentary. Iggy, Iggy, for one. Um, nobody from Aerosmith, and we really championed them as well, but. I mean, Cream said yes. Like, I didn't have to wait for an answer. They they wanted approval, but they'd never asked us to change anything that they said in, in the documentary. So um, they're, they're as good then as they are now. I mean, I don't know if that's true with everybody, but again, we really had that synergy all those years.
0: Well, you know, one of the, one of the things I've commented on many times over the years is I, I, I spent a number of years working with KISS when I built and launched their website forum, And I've mm-hmm. been to many events with them. I've never seen another band uh, treat the media so well. And that would be yeah. photographers and and people interviewing them. They give them all the time they need to get great photos, great interviews, great coverage. And you know, you think here's a band almost 50 years on, Gene and Paul don't need that coverage anymore. Yet here they are. They they still treat media with respect.
3: Can I tell you a really great thing? Okay, this is back to the Detroiters love free stuff. So we went to film Gene for the documentary. After we're done, he said, oh, come on down. Why don't you come come down here? And you go one floor lower than his office, and he's got this big thing that looks like a toy chest, and you open it, and it's filled with kiss t-shirts and kiss paraphernalia and he gives you little shopping bags and he says to fill them it's like i kept saying okay jan just be classy don't take anything no that wasn't who walked out there with their big bulging bags full of kiss kleenex and like like tank tops but it was like it's really sweet like you get to go and you get souvenirs after you interview them you know
0: it's like a, it's like the kiss game show, like the shopping game show, except it's the kiss <laughs> game know, show. I know, like I
3: said, it's just like supermarket sweep. He he, like learned it at the hand of the master. You know, oh. I do, I do wish that Bill Coin was still around. He was such a lovely man. I'm sorry he left this planet so early.
2: Are you aware that uh, they're doing a Neil Bogart movie? Did you see uh, Neil Patrick Harris is going to play uh, play Bill of I
3: did, I did know that because I know Neil's son. Um, I, I media-trained bands, and I was media-training one of his clients, and he looks like his dad, and I go, and his last name was Bogan, and I go, oh, my God, are you, Um, are you, is Neil and Joyce your parents? So, yeah, I did know that they were, which is great. I think Larry Harris, who also passed away recently, the one who <laughs> said it was okay to take pictures of them without their makeup, was involved with that for a time. But, I mean, it's a great story. He was, he was such a P.T. Barnum anyway.
2: Yeah, they'd say he'd uh, he'd spend a million to make five bucks.
3: Yeah, you know? so true, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you know, those first kiss records didn't sell. You know, he just he just really like like you know finagled that whole thing, got them on their way, gave them like a you know a push.
2: Well, it's it's funny because I have, uh, I I have actually, you know, one of of the reasons that I met you there, I've always been just a huge fan of the magazine. I've, I've collected every issue from 72 through 84 and the reason that,
1: that (laughs) I don't
0: have them
2: (laughs) pristine in boxes, but I I was going through uh, some of the stuff, uh, some of my creams, um, earlier and you know, kiss was mentioned early on and in that, that uh, I don't know, press conference or whatever uh, out in California in seventy four. Oh yeah, we covered that.
3: that in my, yeah, we covered it. I remember writing about that. and Pete goes on. I mean, I knew who they were when I saw them, but I didn't know what they were like, you know, because we covered the kissing convention. Yep,
1: yeah, that was. I was um, going to bring that
3: up
2: too. That was yeah, current we, when.
3: And I have to say that our um, Barry Barry Kramer, who was the founder of Cream, and Neil were really good friends. So. He came to us really early on, so we would do things because my section used to be the beat goes on, the news section in the front, and the movie section. So, um, so again, I thought it was I thought it was really newsworthy, and it was so odd, you know. There was nothing else like it. So yeah, we did cover it, but but after I met them and I saw what they were like and how they wouldn't answer a question, I said, okay, all bets are off. This band is really, we can really do something here.
2: Now, was Barry? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Barry because. I've obviously, I never met him or Neil, but just reading about both gentlemen, there seems to be a similar sort of gambler, devil may care attitude between both oh, men. Oh,
3: a hundred percent, Barry Kramer. There used to be a like gangsters in Detroit called the Purple Gang, and they were all Jewish. Mm-hmm. And Barry Kramer was Jewish, so he always thought that we were just the Purple Gang. So <laughs> he pretty much ran Cream like we were the Purple Gang. Um, he was a visionary. He was a great guy. He was fearless. He was scary. He was probably five foot six, a really beautiful, elegant looking man, but just in your face if he didn't get what he wanted. Um, I, he really guided our whole ship. I mean, we argued all the time. I mean, Cream was not always a fun place to work at because it was so bombastic. It was so argumentative. We had such big personalities there, but Barry had the biggest personality and the most vision. So, um, again, someone I really owe a lot to. I mean, definitely, that's why I worked on the documentary, because I, I felt I needed for, for Barry to live again, for people to actually know about the man behind the scenes. What's your,
0: you mentioned that you um, did the interviews with Peter and Ace for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What's your opinion yeah. on how long the Hall of Fame dissed Kiss, basically?
3: Oh, They were never going to get them in. If they hadn't let it op- be open to the people, they would still not be in. Because I always think that those New York literati, like, like intellectual rock critic types would have tried to keep them out. I, I think that that was a blot on their idea of what music should be. I mean, Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan and, you know, things that were much more mannerly and artistic is what their idea of rock is. But, you know, again, it brings the people into it. The people's idea of rock, it's like highbrow versus lowbrow, you know. It's like we meet in the middle, so so let us have the middle. Let us have what we love. I I was really happy that they were in. I mean, I'm not sure my babies, the MC5, will ever get in, you know, because that's also a different kind of blot. Plus, Plus, the thing about the MC5 is they've never sold a lot of records.
2: Yeah, but the influence, though, you know? I'd,
3: yeah. I'd, matter of fact, on,
2: on last week's episode, I, I was talking a bit about the MC5, how, you know, when Kiss does that thing at the end of Deuce, you know, with the, the guitars and Shake, well, you remember yeah. what the MC5 did that long before them. I mean, and yeah, all the so MC5 true. were doing was stealing the Motown guys' moves. That's all they were yeah. doing
3: well it's true, it's always a family tree, I always remember sitting around the MC5's house and he used to talk about James Jameson, like the famous session bass player like that was their god, you know, so yeah, they, they definitely took a bite off of Motown, how could you not, you can't be from from Detroit and not have Motown in your soul and, and not have that kind of rhythm based inclination, I mean, maybe it sets us up for liking bands with a really strong beat, I used to say and I'm not really sure it's true, but I used to explain The way Detroiters listen to music is because we're all factory kids, because most of our (laughs) dads worked in factories. So we're used to loud noises, and that's kind of like womb like to us. Like that feels like home. That calls us in like close encounters of the third kind, and we're all, instead of making three mountains and our mashed potatoes, we're going to see bands that sound like factories. You know? (laughs) To me, that (laughs) makes a lot of sense to me.
2: It, it, it sure does, boy. You you nailed it, and and you know I, I I was telling Jan the other day. You know I just went and saw um, over the weekend. I went and saw uh, Bob Seeger's final show at uh, at Pine Knob, and guys, just just to think about this, and, and and I I know there's some exceptions like with what Billy Joel does at Madison Square Garden and stuff, but those are far few and in between. You know, here he is, 74 years old, is Bob Seger. And again, uh, you know, being a Detroiter, you were, Bob Seger was drilled in your head from being a little kid, you know, Heavy Music and Ramblin' Gambling man. I mean, these songs long before the nation knew who he was through Night Moves, you Hell know. Oh, yeah. And, but 74 years old, he just played his sixth sold out and they couldn't have got two more people in there with a freaking shoehorn, you uh-huh. know, at, at, at Pine On. Who, in this day and age, at 74, and, and again, you can count them on one hand, is playing Six Nights at Pine Knob?
3: Yeah, exactly. Know. It's like Neil Young. You know, like, same thing, like Bob Seger, that beat. My favorite Bob Seger stuff is like heavy music and East Side Story, you know, that his heavier stuff. Oh, yeah. I still like liked him, but I honestly loved him. As a kid, when he had that that kind of music, that was much more Detroit. Oh yeah,
2: Detroit Lucifer Asian. and back in '72, and I, I, oh yeah, that's that's my stuff. So that was the one thing going to see him. I, I was, I, you know, my wife and I we went three nights of the six, and I got to admit. Don't get me wrong. Really enjoyed it. Really, and I and I would I would encourage anybody if you do go see you want to go see a legend go go see him if he comes because he's he just announced some more tour dates. I'm sure he's going to end the final thing here at at, uh, at Little Caesars Arena, which is. Have you been there by the way yet, Jan? Have you been to Little no, Caesars? No, I
3: haven't. I was in Detroit last weekend, but not that. I would love I would love to see it. I, I find great sadness. I mean, I, I was absolutely teary eyed when you know on the last song at the last you know, the Kiss show that I saw, like, they say they're all happy and I keep wondering if it's ever going to set in because how can I be so sad and they're happy but <laughs> them their life, maybe they want a different life. I mean, I don't actually want them to have different lives. <laughs> you know, I bought the dream. I wasn't what? ever giving it up. I know. I'm, Jan, I'm Jan with... what, what, what do
0: you think about the state of music once... All these bands, the Kisses, the Aerosmiths, the Bob Seegers, the Peter Framptons, once they've all retired and they no longer tour, what's the music world going to look like?
3: Well, it looks like what the music is, is for the millennials. I mean, I like other bands. It's not like I'm just a classic rock reporter. Everybody makes the expression that's in their heart and their minds and how they see the world. And, you know, people's tastes are different music doesn't hold the same kind of place for millennials as it really does for people who are older because there are less things to create your identity from. It was like, did you like the Rolling Stones or did you like the Beatles? You know, did you like Blue Oyster College or did you like the New York Dolls? I mean, did you like R.E.M. or did you like Elvis Costello? Even, even to probably the early 90s, people were still extracting identity. And then there was social media, so you don't have to figure out who you are by the music you like. So music will always have a have a place there's a part in the documentary that we didn't use and it was really beautiful and it's going to surprise you because it comes from ted Nish, who actually cried when he said it and he said music is talking to the tribe so music will always be talking to the tribe maybe someone who's 54 won't hear it the same way somebody who's 22 old but i love music like i love the head and the heart i i, I love I love bands that come out now. I mean, you know, I don't love everything. I, I found, just because I am a music critic, I like a certain tonality of voice. I like I like things that are unfinished and and rough and feel like they're going to, you know, skirt the edge of the cliff. I mean, again, I, I was reared on Iggy and the Stooges and the MC5, but um, there'll always be something. I, I think that music will always have a part. Like, how can you not have it? You can't live in a world of silence.
0: Oh, well put. Oh, amen, amen. Let can can I m- do a little um, first reaction back and forth here? If I if I mention some names, what's the first thought, the first reaction that comes to your mind? Gene um, Simmons,
3: um, smarter and nicer than he wants people to know. Paul Stanley. Ah. Uh, Pretty, detailed, oriented, um, wounded, and always pushing that rock up the hill.
0: Ace Fraley.
3: Uh, happier on the outside than he is on the inside.
0: Mm. Interesting. Peter
3: Chris. Um, Peter, not high ambition. Um, where he needs to be, just wants to be happy.
0: Bill coin.
3: The most elegant man I ever met.
0: Sean Delaney.
3: A, a live warrior, a fire starter, a-, a genius. And he didn't look like a genius on the outside, but really a genius. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, J.R. Smalling.
3: Oh, my God, a warrior prince. A beautiful man. And you know what? If anybody can um, give to his, his Kickstarter... To raise funds to help him with his cancer, please do. Oh yes, please. It's on Facebook. Uh, Junior helped me so much. He was a, such a pivotal part of most of my kiss coverage because he would tell me the truth. He would always call me Kid, and um, he—he's just—he's he, just the class act. I love Junior.
0: How about uh, Neil Bogart?
3: Um, a showman, P.T. Barnum of the rock world. A mind like Mercury.
0: Larry Harris.
3: <laughs> I don't know. We, we had such we had such contention. I, he was nice to me. He was funny. He had a big heart, and he was wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that that was awesome. I loved getting your just snap reaction to each of those names. That was well. You some... know,
3: Alan Ginsberg says, first thought, best thought."
0: So. Yep. 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 Definitely, for sure.
3: So let, let's talk
0: a little bit more about the, the Cream documentary. So um, how did that come to be? What led you to get a Cream documentary going?
3: Okay, it's so back to the crazy story of Connie, who was the person who hatched my um, Kiss on Stage story with me. Um, my parents were quite ill. They both passed away, but I was in Detroit a lot from 2004 to... 2015, and one of those trips, I would always see Connie, JJ J. Kramer's mother. And JJ Kramer's a lawyer, but he always wanted to be his dad. I mean, he, his dad died when he was, I think, six or four. I can't remember which now. And um, he left his son the magazine, and his mom had to sell the magazine. He'd never lost that dream of getting Cream back, or, you know, owning the magazine, creating Cream Media. And so Connie said to me, J.J. is thinking of leaving his job at Abercrombie & Fitch as a lawyer, as legal counsel, and coming back to Detroit and trying to start a magazine. I go, no, 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 no. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I have a better idea. I, Scott Crawford, a man I'd worked for at Heart Magazine, was now a filmmaker, had done one documentary on the D.C. punk scene, and he had always asked me if I could introduce him to the cream people. and." He wanted to make a cream documentary. So I said to Connie, why don't I put J.J. and Scott Crawford together, and J.J. could be the executive producer. He could probably just, you know, do that and still stay in Columbus, Ohio, and be legal counsel for Abercrombie & Fitch. And she said, oh, great idea. So I introduced the two of them, and they agreed to work together, and that's really it. We did it to save J.J.'s job. (laughs) There was a mom and I. It was like two moms scheming <laughs> And um, I wasn't going to actually be a part of it, but it was one of those things where they would call me and ask me things, and I kept going, oh, my God, where did they get this wrong? Um, you know, I really got to be a part of it. So um, they brought me on as a producer along with J.J. and a co-writer with Scott Crawford because, again, I was there. So um, I knew the stories and I knew the people I could get to do the interviews and I actually knew what questions to ask them because I'd either written stories on them or I'd read or copy edited all the stories that they, they had, um, you know, been in the cream. So it was a really good partnership among the three of us.
0: How long, how long was it in production?
3: Oh my God, we worked on it for three years. I mean, that was pretty much all I did. I did, I did very few stories. It, Pretty much took over my life for that that whole time period.
2: Hey, Jan, I was I, I know I know these people came after you, but you know as a fan of the magazine, I I was surprised they weren't even mentioned in the documentary. Uh, Rick Johnson was funnier than how I used to. Oh love no,
3: the, Rick Johnson is in there. Rick Johnson had the whole story oh, about John Jett. A, and the um, yeah no he was big. We had a finite time because it's such a big story. We tried to to have it end at um barry's death but we extend a little more for lester's because it's like there used to be this bit on laughing and i know you're all too young to remember laughing oh, but no 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 i remember guy, laughing oh, okay so guy lombardo used to be this big band leader my parents era and he always played new year's eve and he used to have this bit on laughing and he said when i die i'm going to take new year's eve with me so at one point i said you know lester's guy lombardo And he said, when I die, I'm going to take cream with me. And that was really the premise that I was working from, that the cream as we knew it, the glory years cream, had gone when Lester died. And it was hard because I wanted to put Ben Edmonds, who was one of my closest friends in life who died of pancreatic cancer in 2016, and I interviewed everybody and asked them what they knew about Ben. And as a writer, you're not always visible. I mean, you know, I did a few more public things than he did, you know, with my kids thing, and, and I had kind of more flamboyant stories, but if anything, I would have wanted Ben in there. I loved Rick Johnson. I thought he was a genius, an amazing writer, a, wit, a one of the funniest people i would ever met in my life, you know?
2: Yeah. Edward um, Dauphin, too, is another one that I, I don't remember. Do you, are you familiar with that? I never, that?
3: actually, I'm not. Because um, you have to remember, when I left, then I said this other life, and then I got married, and when I had my daughter in 1980, I stopped being a rock writer. I mean, I thought that I was going to be a history professor. I went back to school in Berkeley um, and went to get my degree. And honestly, when I started thinking about what I was doing, then I went into politics. And I said, "Wait a second, politics are so dirty and horrible. I'd rather just go back to the swarmy rock business." So, <laughs> so, uh, so, I, so I think really after '79, I don't really know. I, you know, it's like my history. I don't. I don't intersect with Cream again until. Eighty-four and eighty-five, and they bring me back to do that gossip column. So, I don't. I honestly, I'm, I'm being honest. Like, I don't. I won't know the answers to those things.
2: Yeah, because I was also surprised they didn't touch on the. Because, you know, especially being a cream fan, the last page, the, the backstage, you know, where they used to have. Oh the yeah,
3: TV. I know. I love that. I wish we would have because that happened after I left. But I always thought that was hilarious. I mean, so, so, so good. That's the thing that the, the next generation of of cream did because we didn't really have it when I was there. We are just starting it.
2: Yeah, but you're, I tell you what, even from even from the early, the, the letters were always just oh, so freaking Always amazing.
3: <laughs> and <laughs> you know what? My, my sister told me that I told her, and I absolutely suppressed this, is that Lester used to make a lot of them up. And I was appalled. I must have suppressed it. because I didn't know I, that. Yeah, well, how about me? I was sitting right next to him for six years. <laughs> I didn't know it. I must have known it because my sister joanne who is a photographer for the magazine told me that i told her but i think lester told her that i mean the one thing i have admitted in print is that lester and i used to stuff the ballot box when it came to the reader's poll though (laughs) (laughs)
0: well listen i mean we we, we've had um um people on who used to work for kiss who told us all through the 70s that's all they did whether it was coins (laughs) management or the record label they were stuffing the ballot boxes
3: I love that. <laughs> Sometimes you just really have to win. You know, you know
0: it, it. You know, as a as a kid, it sort of now now it shatters what you thought as a kid. You're like, oh my god, yes, they're really the number one band in the country, and then you find out no, the record label just sent in ten thousand ballots.
3: <laughs> I know it's so bad. <laughs> I think that I I'm not sure I made them them win, but I do still have um Jean's ballot because when it came in, I just stole it accounted it though.
0: <laughs> oh so Gene sent in his own back.
3: Yeah, he did. I we had a lot of famous people doing that. Which just cracks me up. That's
0: funny. So so what hey. what's the release plan for the documentary? Right now it's it's doing what, the um film the festivals? festivals? Are
3: good. Yeah, it's at Michael Moore's festival in Traverse City uh the end of July to early August. We, we just got invited into that one. We've done a lot of them. and I think what happens is you do this, and uh, believe me, this is my first and only documentary so far. I don't know if I'll do more. I don't know. You know, you never know what happens in your life, but um, but that's one way to do it. And we have um, submarine companies, are sales agents. So I, I'm sure that we'll be sold after we do this whole circuit, but that was the way it decided to go.
0: Are there any plans that you know of to do a film festival out here in the San Francisco area, which is where I am?
3: Where um, I, I don't work. know. We were, yes, I know we were going to show it. I don't know yet, and I, I when I do know, I'll let you know. But right now, no. I mean, the only thing I know is what's next is is doing the one in Traverse City, which is kind of crazy because I'm from Michigan and I've never been there, and I really would love to go to that one. And Michael Moore—that's Moore. that's I mean, a huge deal here. Huge. It's so. We got a, a letter from Michael Moore, and I'm thinking, oh my God, Michael Moore really, really saw it. But you know, I could see why he was like it. You know, anyway. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's sort of of the people himself, so he probably right. understands the whole cream philosophy. He's a Michigan guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. There's the connection there.
2: Again, again, you know, um, cream was it was huge here. I mean. Obviously, it's from here, but yeah. I mean, all oh my friends, that was like such a big deal at school when the new Cream came out. I mean, that, I, I honest to God, I remember sitting at my lunch table and that was everyone crowded around to, to you know, when it came it was such a big, again, it was such an innocent, fun time. And, you know, when when bands were coming to town and we, we, you just wanted to find out about all of that stuff and and it was even kind of cool because i was always like you know the rocker kid, and, and so it always cool because you'd you'd get girls would want to come over and see if there was pictures of Steven Tyler in there or Paul Stanley. <laughs> you, you know that's really cute. I love that. You know, so it was just just yeah, well, I remember my next door neighbor, I remember she had the, the she loved Paul Stanley, and it was like, any, you, is there even there any pictures
0: of Paul Stanley in that one, you know, stuff like that. I remember that vividly.
2: So it was just fun stuff.
0: Well, you know, as 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 a kid who grew up on all of the rock magazines through the seventies and into the eighties it always seemed to me the impression was Cream had real interviews with real photos. Circus and Hit Parader were, let's put the press release in with the stock photo that the record label sends out. So it it always felt like if I wanted the real inside of a band, you had to go to Cream to get it because you weren't getting it anywhere else.
3: I think that we were such slaves to the truth because... I always felt that myself, and I know the rest of us did too, is that we were really the the pipeline for fans. I think every interview I've done, and I do this to this day, I think of the kids who are going to read it and what do they want to know. And we always did that. Um, Lester and I had this chant that we used to say to each other before we'd go out on an interview. We'd go, remember, rock stars are not our friends. And <laughs> I know when Ka- Cameron Crowe was doing Almost Famous, and he asked me to do some research and send them like a, kind of a file on Lester. well, not kind of a file on Lester. and I mentioned that, I go, you know, that was really important, you know, that because you really couldn't bond with the Roxas, because then you couldn't tell the truth. I mean, we really were there for the kids, because the people, this is really funny, it's what I always loved about kids, they always said we are our fans, but you know, the thing about the staff at Cream is we were our readers. We were just like you guys. You know, we were not any different we weren't trust con- fund kids you know we were we were music fans that really lived and died by what our heroes did so we wanted to do that but again the thing we also had in common is we were none of us were wild by celebrity so we could actually confront them as people and really get a sense of who they were and i that training has served me all these years later because i really do think i get into the psyche of artists because I do think that if you approach them as equals, you know, as human to human, then, you know, you really get a sense of and that's what kids want us to see. I hate to say like I won't I won't tell people like what's the worst thing or tell people that like who's an asshole or who's not because you know, why when their are dreams? I would never want to hear that Paul McCartney was an asshole. I'd like to have found that out on my own, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Is is there while you were at Cream, is there anybody you wanted to interview or do a story on that you never were able to?
3: Yeah, because you had to fight for what you got. Everyone had their their preferences and it was a pecking order. I always wanted to interview Bowie. I mean, I met Bowie. I actually wandered into like this party with Ben Edmonds and it was this crazy orgy. I mean, seriously, my Midwestern eyes was shocked. I was like, oh my and God, and (laughs) Bowie was the only one in the corner with clothes on. I've never forgotten that. But that's not why I wanted to um, interview him. I just always wanted to interview him, and I never did. I think he really is the one that got away. I would never interview Mick Jagger because I've interviewed a lot of the Rolling Stone members, but Mick Jagger was my penultimate rock star, and I figured if I knew what he was like and it wasn't what I thought he was, that would really be like a an arrow through my heart. I mean, Jimmy Page didn't disappoint, but did because I love Led Zeppelin. But I think I made the story so funny when he made me speak through the interpreter that it actually made Jimmy bigger in my head. I have a friend who used to be the editor of Guitar World. He's from Detroit, too. His name is Brad Talinsky. And I had written that story where, you know, about about Jimmy and I'd asked him if he stole the eggs because when I was on tour with them the second time, someone had stolen the stash of eggs from the tour doctor, and I had the audacity to ask him, and I put that in my story. So Jimmy Page had seen the reprint of that story and loved it, and he was telling Brad about it. So Brad dialed my phone and put Jimmy on the phone, and he said, Jan. And I said, yes, I had no idea who it was, and he goes, I've called to tell you I stole the Quaaludes. loose. <laughs> so, like, so um like one of those moments. So Jimmy Page grew larger in my estimation. I didn't want Mick Jagger to shrink. I'm tall. I'm like five seven and a half. and I was at a party once, and I saw Mick Jagger, and I went and stood next to him because I wanted to see... I actually wanted to see if he really was as short as people said, and he was shorter than me, and it just, that killed me. So I thought, no, that's never, never... Never interview that man. <laughs> I need some rock dreams of my own, you know.
0: Oh, that's funny. Um, so, Jan, do you have? Uh, and, and we've we've been on the phone here for ninety minutes now, hour and a half, and and it just feels like there is so much great stuff here. But I want to make sure: Do you have a website? Do you have anything that you want to put out there that you know for fans to go check out?
3: I mean, I think you just have to Google my name. I really don't. I'm such a working journalist. I don't really do a lot of any self-promotion. You know, I I really think I live from story to story, you know, from capturing one artist's psyche to the next. So just Google my name.
0: You know, You, you, I don't, you, you I didn't don't learn self-promotion from Gene, then, did you?
3: <laughs> I didn't. He wanted me to change my name to Lois Lane. He always told me I'd never make it with a name like Jan Uchelski. Hi, Witz. You know <laughs> 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 So there, maybe he was right, but I'm still working and I'm still okay. so you know, Lois, already- Lois
0: Lane, like that would have worked.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, right. really would have been good. Like, no one made fun of that one.
0: Exactly,
3: exactly. So, so, well, thanks for keeping them alive. I mean, you know, it's not like, like that they're not a force, but, you know, they they really do mean so much to me, too. Well, you know, so and, and, on and, and
0: one of the things, and, and Mark first brought this up a couple months ago, and it's such a, a a profound statement to think about. All of us as KISS fans who've been there since the 70s, did we ever think... In 74, 75, 76, 79, whenever, that in 2019, Kiss would still be touring the world, selling out arenas and stadiums to the biggest, bigger crowds than they've ever had. You know, did we ever think that? in the late 70s when you know we were standing by our band that was going disco and pop and everything else and <laughs> our best friends were saying kiss sucks led zeppelin rules deep purple rules that our band would still be here
3: you know i don't when i was on the plane with paul and Jean and we and you know all this thought we said you know i didn't think we wouldn't be here either like me still doing exactly what I've been doing since nineteen seventy one and and them doing what they were doing since nineteen seventy three I, I just think that there's there's no off button I think that's why on some level them stopping really crushes me because I don't intend to, but I'm you know they'll do something else, but I don't know it, it isn't a young man's game I mean it's hard with those boots and the forty pound costumes, you know? Well,
0: yeah, yeah. I so mean, it, it, it's, it's uh, you know, the only reason they have to stop is because of age and physical limitations at this point. I mean, I've said a number of times, I mean, Paul Stanley's destroyed his body for us. He's had
3: every, he every really part has.
0: replaced in order for us to have a KISS concert. And think
3: I, about that. You. Oh, you know, I do want to say, can we say again, instead of my self-promotion, can we just... Just put the website on for GoFundMe for Junior. Of course. Yes. That would great. If, it's, every, it's everybody go.
0: head over to GoFundMe and and just search for Jr. Smalling. And we've mentioned this a couple times in the past on, on three sides. Please donate whatever you can to help help him out. He's he's battling cancer right now.
3: And if anybody could win, he could I mean I really mean that about being at war. He used to call himself Black Oak, which I loved, you know. He he really is the greatest and he deserves he deserves only the best. So um thanks again you guys. Um you know this, Jan this, 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 really this, this was
0: this was truly an honor, like I said at the beginning, you've got a oh, place wait, in wait, history.
2: Wait, Jan, Jan when, when when I when I got your card, I, I couldn't get a hold of Michael fast enough. I'm like, Oh my god. I met Jan. She said she'd be interested in the show. And that was I, I Christ, that was what in April? Maybe even yeah. well, whatever. Yeah, you have no idea how excited all of us were to potentially get you on the show. It it really that's no bullcrap. That well,
0: you know, and and for our listeners, I mean, I'd been messaging with Jan on Facebook for yeah three years. I mean, you know, and 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 it's like, would you come on? Would you come on? And and I think. It started out with you weren't sure if there was anything to talk about, but then it was like I've got this cream documentary, but I don't want to come on. Oh no,
3: no, it was the Duncan thing. <laughs> it was the Duncan thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to defend the title, okay? <laughs>
2: you know, we're going to make sure we put your name and then the world's leading authority on on kiss uh, when we do the title of the show. Yeah,
3: not just the, just not the female version Correct. I, I, <laughs> the
2: world leading authority and, on and yeah. i
0: i am going to make sure to send send this interview to robert as well cuz he, <laughs> he he'll get a kick out of this
3: i you know i was supposed to, i was going to go up to san francisco on the 5th he's having a big party and i, I every time i see him i always say that to him you know, I just can't not <laughs> but i re, i really do like him a lot he's he is, he is He's just so talented. He's got a book coming out, but he'll tell you about that too. Well, you so know, again, and,
0: and, so. and, and when and when we had him on the show, it was he was like even a little taken aback. It's like, what do you want to talk to me about? And I, we were like, Robert, you don't understand your place in history. That's big for Kiss fans. So you you are know, right the, there.
3: I think the best writers really are are more concerned with the story than themselves. You know. It's like, if you, if you really, if you want it to be about you, get on stage. You know, I, I think writers, Crackle, I just think it's a different kind of temperament. And he really is a fine, fine, fine writer. I and mean, was the thing about Cream. We had really great writers.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. So, um, all right, well, Jen, don't be strangers, you guys. Thank you
0: so much. This was a, it was a pure honor. Thank you. Mark, I don't know. As a Kiss fan, I l- that was one of my all-time favorite interviews. Jan, I'm just Jan holds a spot in history for that maiden form article. and everything else she's added to the conversation around that. I'm just in awe. I'm just honored
2: i i this was the one that had my jaw dropped the whole time. Too bad you can't see it because we're just doing audio this week. but i I literally was like a little kid just like, oh my God. Oh my god, it's Jan. Oh my god. Oh my god. The I one know. who was on stage. Again, just so you guys know in the audience, we've been trying for years. To, she for was years. like high on the list years ago and and like Michael said there towards the end. He's been trying and then I remember saying to Mike, you know, like I think Jan's supposed to be at the premiere. I'm going to find her. And, I, and I'm gonna, you know, and Mike's like, tell her I'm the one that was.
0: <laughs> yeah, rem, rem, remind her she's been talking to me. Remind her she said yes, she wants to come on. It, you know, this is this is one of our quote holy grail interviews.
2: And, and I know she. I look. No one's. You know, I'm I'm about as big a geek as all you guys are too. This is this is one of those times I felt I was floating on air the entire time she was talking. It yes. was. And, and you know the great thing and obviously it's it's you know in, in a selfish way, you know her attitudes and the, the way she talked about you know especially Motown and MC5. That's how see guys that's what I grew up with, and it was so cool. I, I could I understood exactly what she was talking about. Uh, you know growing up in this area and just how special all this stuff was and look what it did to her. I mean it. Look at the career path it, that that love that that music and again make no mistake kiss wasn't just a stage show to her she loved the rock and roll she got it she freaking got it just like we did just like we did we love kiss alive we you know it's funny how she said you know when she didn't like didn't like dynasty when it came out well you know that was really the first one that maybe was off to left to center a little bit, you know, and, and the and the way the career went and everything. And and of course and I don't want to get too geeky. oh no, destroyer was not you know what I'm talking about. That's the first one that look, sure knows something and, and I was made for love and you could not have been on the first record. And, yeah, and that's my it, point.
0: It, it was a deviation from what especially from what Kiss was known of the first three albums pre alive. I mean I was made for loving you. That's a completely different band if you grew up on the first album. Yes.
2: Um, again, her love for music, her, her selflessness was amazing. Yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we need a homework question. I guess the first obvious homework question is what's your favorite story that Jan shared with us? What, what just had you jaw-dropping going, wow, that's, I didn't know that. And, and you know, and I, I would sit here and say there was more than one. I mean, I don't know, somehow right out of the box, learning that the other people at Cream were not Kiss fans was just like, what? Really? I had no idea. I thought everybody at Cream loved Kiss. It, it, the impression was Cream loved Kiss. But it was really Jan who loved Kiss and fought for him. She saw what we saw, yep. in her. You know. Um, How about that Gene Simmons story? Getting high. <laughs> <That one's- laughs> uh,
2: the, the one, the one for me, and I, I think I may have teased a little bit. You know, the fact that the photos that were published yes. yep. of them on, you know, without makeup on from '74 were she didn't have, she didn't want it to happen. And it's funny that uh, she mentioned that Paul kind of gave her the stink eye, you know, yeah. there for a little bit. It's, that's what he thought. And she finally had to clear the air on that. And look, you, I didn't know that story before she
0: told it. Yep. So, and, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's your homework question. What did you love most about Jan's interview? What did you learn? What had you just going, oh my God, that's just great? I mean, the whole interview was awesome, but was there one moment where you were just. Eyes wide open and jaw dropped. And I'm going to try and dig up. I do have pictures from that press conference. Oh, yes, please do. Because, I, you know, maybe I, was, I am aware of it in a different context. But when she brought that up, I was just like, in 1974, Kiss sat on a panel at an industry event. That is just crazy. And somehow I imagine they would have done it without makeup on because it was an industry event. No, they were up on this panel in full makeup and costume. It was just like, wow. There yeah. Gotta see some photos of that if you can dig them up. Yep. So So, so there there you go. That's your that's your homework. You know where to go. Facebook.com slash three sides of the coin. YouTube, Spreaker, Spotify, SoundCloud, check us out, give us a follow, subscribe. We love all of the social media love, and we love all of your comments. It's 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 a blast reading them, and and I suspect there's going to be some great comments after this this one airs. Mm-hmm. So there you go, everybody. I think Mark, should we just make the call? We're going to take off fourth, the fourth, of, fourth July. of July. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because but I'm I'm actually traveling. I'm We're in, leaving you. Yeah, exactly. This this is more than enough to last you two weeks, please. So yeah, we'll we'll be off next week. Um, everybody Which celebrating the, the fourth, 9th, have a good it's... holiday. But we'll, yeah, we'll be back on the ninth. Yeah. Let me check. I think we might actually have.
2: Oh no! You have a hold on. So, there, so there'll be no show airing on the ninth.
0: There'll be no show airing on the 9th but we do have we are recording on the 9th and we have a guest already confirmed for the 9th so yeah we're we're not recording on july 2nd though it's the week of july 4th um
2: and i'll be i'll be out of town matter of fact uh guys right now if you knew i would be investing heavily in the seafood industry around the tampa <laughs> area because uh i leave tomorrow and let me let me say you no no shrimp
0: Buy Uh, stock uh, in shrimp.
2: um, You (laughs) do. All
0: right, everybody. That's it. Three Sides of the Coin. We are out of here. We will see you
1: in two weeks. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. download your free free copy of the kiss school of marketing 11 lessons i learned working with kiss the number 1 downloaded business book on noise trade go to books.noisetrade.com/michael brandpol you're listening to three sides of the coin so you love the show Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.